Will you please take your Bibles and open them with me to Mark chapter number 9. Mark 9, this morning we're going to be reading verses 30 through 41. Mark chapter 9, verse number 30. They went on from there and passed through Galilee... And he did not want anyone to know this. Jesus did not want anyone to know. For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. By the way, the they here in this passage is or are the disciples. Okay, The disciples kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in, his, put him in the midst of them, and taking, them, taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Verse number 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink, gives you a cup of water to drink, because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. Our Lord, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your word, and that by your Holy Spirit you would take this passage and apply it to our lives, our hearts, our minds, our wills, so that we would be transformed into the image of your Son, Jesus. We ask all this in his name. Amen. For the past several months, we've been working our way through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, I think we started last September or October. It's been a while. But one of the things that we have repeatedly seen over and over in these passages, in these episodes from Mark, uh, in the life and the ministry of Christ, is just how confused and sometimes stubborn his band of 12 disciples really were. Even after all the time spent with Jesus, after seeing all the miracles, after hearing all the teaching, right up until the end of his life, they often failed to to fully understand who he really was and what he really came to do. And you know, Aren't we the same way still today as Christians? 
The Lord patiently teaches us in life through providence, through His Word. He shows us His faithfulness over and over that we can trust Him, yet we still far too often just miss the point. We miss the lesson altogether. My dad used to say to me, Son, you're going to have to learn some hard lessons in life. You know, he was right. He tried to teach me things so that I wouldn't have to experience those hard lessons for myself. You know, some people have to learn the hard way, right? I, unfortunately, are usually am one of those people. And what we see in this passage before us this morning is Christ teaching His disciples the hard lessons of discipleship. There are three of them in this text, in this passage. So this morning I want us to sit under the teaching of our Savior through His Word and learn the hard lessons of the Christian life. The first one that we see is that suffering is the path to glory. Suffering is the path to glory. Look at verse number 30 in your Bibles. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. So, friends, this is the second of three times that Jesus tells his disciples of his approaching death. Remember, in the chronology of Mark, in the chronology and the timeline of the life of Christ, there are only a few months left of his ministry. Persecution by the religious leaders is beginning to ramp up. And Jesus has turned the focus of his ministry inward to his disciples to prepare them for the difficult days ahead. And his message to them is clear. He says, I am going to be arrested, I am going to be killed. And after three days, I will rise again. That's what he's saying to them. That's what he wants them to get in these final months of his life and ministry, his time with them. But look at verse number 32. They did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Can you remember a time, have you ever been in school when the teacher was teaching something and you didn't understand it but you were afraid to raise your hand and ask well that is the disciples right here they were confused they were afraid to probe Jesus any further about what he meant by his continued talk about his suffering and his death maybe they didn't want to know you've heard the phrase ignorance is bliss right Maybe they didn't want to know what Jesus meant by suffering and death. Most of us don't want to talk about that, do we? We don't want to talk about the end. We don't want to talk about suffering, affliction, and trial. 
You see, they, along with most other Jews at the time, believed that, that, that God would send a Messiah, right, who would deliver them from their present suffering under the Roman Empire. And they could not understand how the suffering and death of Jesus could accomplish that. But it was a misguided expectation because their focus was on the temporal. It was on the here and now. And friends, our focus, you and me today, like theirs so many centuries ago, is too much on the here and now. We can't understand why or how God uses suffering or even death to accomplish His purpose in our lives. Have you ever been there when circumstances are hard? And perhaps you or someone that you love is suffering and you just can't understand why or how God would use this for our good and His glory. You know what? Maybe you're there right now. I think a lot of people in this world are there right now, wondering what God is doing. How are you going to use all this for our good and your glory like you promised? You see, the reality of suffering, it doesn't mesh with our expectation of the Christian life, does it? Many Christians think that really Jeremiah 29, 11 is the sum of the Christian life. You know the verse. You've seen it on bumper stickers. For I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Those of you who are on social media, no doubt you see that verse probably at least once a day. (laughs) But we forget that that verse was written to a people suffering in exile under the oppressive rule of a wicked nation. But most of the church in America today, dear friends, has this kind of bumper sticker faith. Cherry picks. All the verses that promise comfort and peace while ignoring the promises, like John 16.33, in this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. And that Acts 14.22, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Dear friends, have you ever seen a coffee cup or a bumper sticker with those verses on it? No. Because they don't go too well on our refrigerator magnets. I've often thought, you know, I want to start a a, a private business, a company, you know. I'm going to take the hard verses of Scripture and put them on bumper stickers or refrigerator magnets or T-shirts. But you know what? I'd go bankrupt because no one would buy them. Because they don't make us feel better about ourselves, about our position in life. You see, we don't understand why God allows, not just allows, 
but ordains, why God brings trials and tribulations into our lives to touch us. We don't understand that. But Jesus is making it very clear to anyone who would be his disciple in this text. Before resurrection, there must be death. Before resurrection, there must be suffering. Romans 8 Verse 16 says this, If we are the children of God, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. You want to be glorified with Christ? There is no path to glory that doesn't include suffering. Paul says in verse 18 of Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, the here and now, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. If we are the children of God, if we are disciples, if we are Christians, friends, I'm going to make you a promise this morning that is not very popular. You will suffer. You will go through hard times that almost are unbearable. But you will also be glorified with a glory that is unimaginable. And we need to keep perspective this morning because the sufferings of this life cannot even begin to compare with the glory of the next life. Notice that in this verse in, Paul, in Romans 8, verse 18, you know, Paul's focus is not on the here and now. He's not going to his ATM and seeing how much is in his bank account on Monday morning and then rejoicing. He's not thinking about the here and now. He's thinking about the glory of eternity. And this is a hard lesson, isn't it, that we need to learn. That suffering, not comfort. I don't care what Joel Osteen says. I don't care what the the authors of the, the Christian books that you'll find at Walmart say. This is not our best life now. Suffering, not comfort is the path to glory. So church, let's take our attention off of the temporal here and now. And let's patiently endure the trials that the Lord has brought into our lives, realizing that God, unlike us, God actually knows how to use suffering for our good and His glory in ways that we can never imagine. And we need to refocus our eyes on the future glory that awaits us. The second hard lesson that we see in this passage is that humility is the path to greatness. Humility is the path to greatness. Look at verse number 33. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Now, friends, notice 
Notice the tragic irony here. This is this is tragically ironic. While Jesus was teaching them about his suffering and death that was to come, they were busy arguing about who among them was the greatest. I imagine Jesus may have thought to himself, did they, did they not hear a single word I said? I'm talking about my suffering and they're worried about their greatness. You see, friends, the fundamental human sin is pride. We are a self-absorbed people. We live to please ourselves. We live to advance our own agendas. How often do we get offended because we don't get the recognition that we believe we deserved? That's pride. How often do we get upset when things don't go our way? That's pride. It's in our homes. It's in our churches. It's in our workplaces. It's everywhere because every single one of us here breathing this morning has a natural fallen predisposition to pride. Bishop J.C. Ryle, he says this, We all naturally think far better of ourselves than we ought. We all naturally fancy that we deserve something better than we have. It is an old sin. It began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve thought they had not got everything that their merits deserved. It is a subtle sin. It rules and reigns in many a heart without being detected and can even wear the garb of humility. It is a most soul-ruining sin. It prevents repentance and keeps us back from Christ. And that's exactly what the disciples' pride did right here in this passage. It kept them from Christ. From understanding who He was, from understanding what He came to do, He didn't come to to deliver them from Rome, but to deliver them from their sin. They missed that. But Jesus is the patient teacher, isn't He? He takes the time to teach them what true greatness looks like. Look at verse number 35. And He sat down and called the twelve, and He said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be the last of all, and the servant of all. Jesus says, if you want to be great, you need to go learn to go last. You need to be willing to give the other person at the fellowship dinner that last slice of pizza. You need to be willing to be inconvenienced for the sake of someone else. You need to be a servant, Jesus says. And then he illustrates this kind of Innocent, servant-like humility with the child. Children always make really good illustrations, don't they? Verse 36. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. 
Picture it in your minds with me, saints. Jesus is there in the house. He takes a child. This is probably a very young child, probably a toddler. Puts them in the midst. He take, taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name, verse 37, receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. In Matthew's account, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never inherit the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You see, in the first century culture, children were not an honored segment of society. They were considered insignificant. They were powerless. They were totally dependent upon others for the very survival. And Jesus says, this is how we must be if we want to follow him. You want to follow Christ? Be like a little child. We have to lay down our self-sufficiency. We have to lay down our pride and put on a garment of childlike humility and faith if we're going to live like Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he gives us some, some very practical ways to to work this out in our lives. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 3, he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Remember, he's writing to a Christian church, the church at Philippi. He says, Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest. Yes, you've got to take care of yourself, he says. But also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. Friends, how many of us this morning have emptied ourselves for the sake of others? He emptied himself by, by, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself. How? By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friend, are you willing to follow Christ to the cross this morning? to die to yourself, to die to your ambition, to die to your own agenda. Humility is the path to greatness, not ambition, like the disciples had here. Finally, the last hard lesson that we see in our text is that tolerance be careful with that word, right? That's a, that's a hot word. Tolerance is the path to unity. Tolerance is the path to unity. That's a scary word these days, tolerance. 
And it's only scary because it's been hijacked and distorted by those with their own agenda. But tolerance, in reality, friends, is a biblical virtue. Look at verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, Rabbi, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be, after, will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me, for the one who is not against us is for us. And truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. You see, the disciples had fallen into the trap of what we call tribalism. They were the chosen twelve. They were the ones anointed picked, special, right? And they were critical of those outside of their little group who were doing ministry in Jesus' name. And friends, aren't we still like that today in the church? We don't like those who are not of our tribe. Those who don't think exactly like us. Those who don't believe or act the way we do or even look the way we do. How often do we judge people just by their appearance alone? Friends, that's a dangerous way to be. And it's exactly what we're seeing in our culture right now, ironically, in the name of tolerance. You see, if you're not pushing the cultural narrative precisely at every point, you will be canceled. But friends, there is some bad news that we need to accept this morning. And that's that cancel culture has been alive and well in the church for a long, long time. You see it right here in this passage. The disciples wanted to cancel this other man who is doing work in Jesus' name because he was not following them. And Jesus rebukes these guys for their own little version of cancel culture. And there is a principle here that we desperately need to recover in the church today. And that is that unity does not equal uniformity. Okay? Unity does not equal, it does not mean uniformity. We don't have to look, to act, to think, to believe exactly the same way on every single point to be in the body of Christ or to do ministry together. In fact, if that's the way we think, then we will never have the kind of unity that God calls His people to have. And our impact on this world will be very very limited. Back several years ago, and even still today in some circles of Christians, there are those who practice what we call secondary separation, where they would separate from a church that didn't believe exactly what they believed. You believe something different about the rapture? We can't do ministry with you. 
You believe something different about the end times. You believe something different about God's sovereignty and salvation. We can't do ministry with you. You believe something different about the way we should dress, the way we should look. We can't do ministry with you. Friends, that is, that is ungodly. But right now, we are living in a day where it is going to get increasingly harder to find churches that faithfully believe and preach the biblical gospel. And we cannot afford to be divided over lesser things. Okay? You hear what I'm saying this morning? We cannot afford to be divided over lesser things. Friends, there are Christians today, there are Christians today in the church who will leave a church over its handling of COVID protocols before they'll leave a church over its handling of the Word of God. You hear what I'm saying? There are Christians who will leave over COVID and masks, but they won't leave over doctrine. They won't leave over truth. Well, the church needs to stop letting the world divide us. We need to get back to gospel basics, that God is holy, that we are sinners, and that there is redemption in Christ Jesus for all who will repent and believe. And friends, wherever that message is preached, we can and should rejoice. These are the hard lessons of the Christian life. Suffering is the path to glory. Humility is the path to greatness. Tolerance is the path to unity. Biblical tolerance, right? And we need to get our eyes back on the simplicity of Christ more than ever. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. What are we being distracted by? What are we being taken captive by out there that is taking our eyes off of Jesus? We need the simplicity of Christ. And I want to urge you today as we pray, as as we sing this final hymn, to ask the Lord to search your heart to expose to your conscience anything in your life that is drawing you away from Him. If it's your job, if it's a relationship, if it's COVID, if it's the narrative that we see on the news, if it's everything that's going on right now, whatever it is that is drawing you away from Him, pray that God would expose it to your heart. Bring it to the surface and then flee to the cross. Run to Calvary, friends, and find abounding grace for all of your needs. Let's pray.